Hey y'all, welcome back to Love God and Your Neighbor. I'm Pastor Laura Hutchinson from First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama, and I'm super glad you're here. Normally at this point, I would welcome my liturgist for the day, but as I have had a crazy and awesome week, that little detail slipped through the cracks. What made this past week so crazy awesome was I spent a lot of it organizing a prayer rally, which we held yesterday at our local park. It was called Praying for a Hurting Nation, and it was a gathering of about 15 different ministers, black, Hispanic, and white, praying for peace, justice, mutual love, and understanding. We also prayed for our police, for our president, and other leaders, and for all of the people who are hurting in our country. I think it turned out well, so I encourage all of you to check it out on our Facebook page, First Christian Church of Anniston, Alabama. Now, going to God with our concerns is an important part of our faith journey and an important thing for the body of Christ to do together. So let's keep doing that through our worship today. Since we've abbreviated our service for this podcast format, the time for the collection of offering has been cut out. But that doesn't mean that God isn't calling us to give back to him as a way of saying thank you for what you've given me. And as a way of saying, I trust you to keep taking care of me. In addition to prayer, worship, and service, tithing is a vital part of our spiritual life. So if you are a member of another faith community, please continue to give to them. And if First Christian Church is your church home, either in person or online, please give to God through us and also support this ministry. So if you feel so moved, you can either go to our webpage, www.fccanniston.org, F-C-C-A-N-N-I-S-T-O-N.org, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click the Donate Now button. PayPal is the only functioning donation option for the time being. Otherwise, you can donate by sending a check to First Christian Church at 1327 Layton Avenue, Anniston, Alabama, 36207. That's 1327 Layton Avenue, Anniston, Alabama, 36207. Now, I invite you to gather your elements for communion. Go get some bread or crackers, juice or wine, and I invite you to light a candle. Let us welcome in the light of Christ as we come to the Lord with adoration and love. Please pause this recording while you go and get what you need. Now all of our hymns can be found in your Friday Reminders email. If you don't currently get that email, contact us on our website and ask us to add you to, the, to our list. And now, let us sing our first two hymns, All Things Bright and Beautiful, and I Come with Joy.
Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. He also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Now I'm going to tell you something that is going to blow your mind. Next month, I will celebrate the 19th anniversary of my ordination. Can you believe that? I cannot. And you know, I was working in ministry for at least six years before that, so really it's been 26 years of ministry so far. That is a lifetime for a couple of you out there. Two or three lifetimes for some of you others. That is a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching, a lot of listening and pastoral care. There's also a lot of mission trips and youth sleepovers and lock-ins and a lot of sleep lost, actually. And in all that time, do you know how many people have come to Christ because of me? Do you know how many people have been saved because of my influence? Well, I have no idea. I don't really know who is saved because of me. Sure, I know a lot of people that I've worked with over the years who have loved me as I have loved them, who have told me ways that I've helped them or influenced them in a positive way, which is a truly special blessing to have someone tell you things like that. But I couldn't tell you one person that I know of who has been saved because of my witness to them. Now, what does that tell you about my ministry? Does it mean that I'm not good at sharing the gospel? Does it mean that I'm a failure at evangelizing the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, no, actually it doesn't. Of course, it doesn't mean I'm not a failure either, but we won't dwell on that right now. The thing is, it's not my job to save souls. It's not your job either. In fact, it's no person's job except Jesus to save anyone's soul at all. So what do you think about that? I imagine some of you are thinking, well, what are we paying you for then? Which is a truly valid question, and I'm so glad you asked. My purpose is to guide you to understanding the Word of God so that you can go out and share it with other people. I'm also here to help you and to walk with you as the Word of God grows within you throughout your life. And what does that word say? It says this. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The People's New Testament commentary said that the identification of the seed with the word indicates that the preaching and teaching of the Christian message identified as the word of God and Jesus, is at the heart of his understanding of the kingdom. 
In other words, the kingdom in Jesus's parables about sowing seeds is the same thing as the word of God. And the greatest example of the word of God in this world is the Holy Bible, especially the Gospels. And in this parable, Jesus talks about sharing God's word the same way a farmer sows seeds. So, think about your idea of the most successful witness of God's love and grace in Christ Jesus. What does that witness look like? Do you think anyone has ever walked up to a non-believer on the street, quoted Bible verses at them, and the non-believer suddenly believed in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? That immediately their hearts and souls were transformed? I mean, anything is possible with God, but I doubt that's been successful more than a few times, if any. The thing is, a person's salvation usually grows over time. Whether a child is raised in the faith or a person learns about God's saving grace later in life, it takes time for the word to take root and grow into something mature and fruitful. Eugene Peterson talks about it like this. The person who looks for quick results in the seed planting of the word will be disappointed. If I want potatoes for dinner tomorrow, it will do me little good to plant them in my garden tonight. There are long stretches of darkness and invisibility and silence that separate planting and reaping. During the stretches of waiting, there is cultivating and weeding and nurturing and planting still other seeds. So how do we evangelize? Do we save people? Do we who have the knowledge of the gospel have the responsibility of making people believe? No. Our responsibility, our only responsibility, is to share the word of God with others. We plant that word and move on and do not worry about whether it will grow or not. We do not know how it will take root or even if it will take root, but we trust that the word will grow in God's will. The seed in the parable is the word of God. The ground or the earth is a person who hears the word. So how does this contrast with people thinking about evangelism in Christian culture today? Well, many churches teach that it is the Christian's responsibility to save each and every person who does not know Jesus. Very often there is a heightened sense of anxiety in Christians because they have been taught that they are responsible for the salvation of everyone else. And in conflict with this responsibility, if they fail to save people, then their salvation is somehow in jeopardy. I know what this feels like because when I was young, I suffered under this misunderstanding myself. I would almost start to panic when I heard someone say something that was wrong. My heart would pound, my ears would ring, and I obsessed about what I should say to fix them, to fix their wrong thinking, to save them. It was a painful way to think about it, and it truly got in the way of my relationships with others, as well as my ability to share God's word with people. In my anxiety, evangelism became more about me and what I should be doing and less about God and what God was able to do. But Jesus tells us differently. In his parable, the sower simply scatters the seed and then goes to bed to sleep soundly. There is no anxiety. There is no worry. The word of God, the kingdom of God, 
produces itself. The commentary says that phrase produces of itself literally means automatically, but not in the impersonal sense of the English word. The term is found often in the Greek translation of the Old Testament used by Mark to represent God's act that is beyond human manipulation or control. The coming of the kingdom is not a matter of human cleverness, dedication, or preparation, but belongs to God's sovereignty. Thus, when we and the original readers know that human activity is necessary for raising crops, not only planting, but fertilization, cultivating, and such, these human activities seem to be intentionally disregarded. The point is not that humans can do certain things to prepare for the coming of God's kingdom, but precisely the opposite. God's word has been sown, and it will have its own effect, will bring its own harvest in God's good time. The farmer does not raise crops, but goes about his business and sleeps soundly, secure that God will bring his creative word to fruition. This is good news for many of us who have stressed and agonized over how to go about evangelizing to the world. Many hear the word evangelism and immediately get a tightening in the chest because it implies lots of uncomfortable work making other people uncomfortable until they are finally and completely saved. What Jesus is telling us is that evangelism is an act of trusting God to do the heavy lifting. All we have to do is live our lives according to God's word, sharing that word with the people we meet and then going on about our day. And when we go to bed at night, we don't need to worry about whether we've accomplished our conversion quota for the day. We just sleep. And God's word, God's kingdom will grow and flourish the way God wants it to and when God wants it to. There was a waiter who worked at a restaurant I went to a while back who seemed to suffer under the illusion that he was responsible for the souls of every person who came into that restaurant. As a customer watching his loud and manic sharing of his version of the good news, I was pretty upset, I have to say. I was there, like all the other people, to eat my dinner and talk to my family. And he was shoving his faith down the throats of everyone around. After I complained to the manager about it, and then the manager spoke to the waiter, That guy came up to our table and proceeded to try and save me personally for about 15 minutes until I finally convinced him to go away. Well, I've often thought of that waiter since then, and it was always with a feeling of frustration and contempt. I felt he was arrogant and an embarrassment to me as a Christian. But now as I reflect on this scripture, I realize that he was just a victim of bad theology. I imagine he does lay awake at night worrying about whether he saved anyone that day. I imagine that his compulsion to convince people of the legitimacy of his beliefs is a derailing factor in his life and keeps him from being able to truly connect with people and with God. So today, rather than feeling angry with him, I feel sorry for him and I pray for him that he will be able to rest in the knowledge that God is in control and that God's word is powerful enough to grow all on its own. But you might be thinking, 
What could that young man have done differently to sow the seeds of God's word with his customers? Well, first of all, he was wearing a cross, which immediately identifies him as a Christian. That means that everything he does and says to his customers represents Christ. In a position of service, he has all the opportunities in the world to practice the fruits of the Spirit with everyone he meets. Patience, kindness, self-control, love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. Those in and of themselves are seeds to be sown in Christ's name. He could have even quoted scripture if it's relevant to something that comes up and then smile and leave it at that. The rest is in God's hands. And I guess some people could argue that that doesn't tell them about who Jesus was and what he did for them. You could say that it wasn't enough to let people truly understand how sin destroys our lives and Jesus saves us from that sin. But the fact is, God is in control and God will allow whatever seed you've planted to grow into whatever God wants it to become. Because I don't think that many people come to love God through Christ because of the words or actions of one person. Do you? No, I think that God plants seeds in our hearts throughout our lives and that our faith is the result of a whole garden of God's work, not just one seed planted at one time by one person. So like I said in the beginning, I don't know who in my life has come to Christ throughout through my influence, and that's okay. It's not for us to know how our witness has affected other people's faith. We do not need to know if the seeds we've planted have grown. In fact, I'm thinking we're not supposed to know because sharing's God word, God's because sharing God's word is about God, not us. We're just called to live faithfully, to be open about our faith as much as possible, to know and understand the Bible as much as we are able, to share our knowledge with people whenever we are called to share it, and then to go on with our lives. We plant a seed and then go on to plant seeds somewhere else. It is God's power that allows any seed to grow or not grow according to God's will. Therefore, it is God who is to worry about how or why the seeds take root. We are called to simply scatter the seeds wherever we go, and then go to bed at night and sleep soundly in the knowledge that God is in charge of everything. And that's an awfully wonderful and reassuring thing to think about, isn't it? Amen? Amen. This next song, In the Bulb There Is a Flower, is not in your Friday reminders. So I want to read to you the words before I play it. In the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree, in cocoons a hidden promise. Butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be. Unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. There's a song in every silence, seeking word and melody. There's a dawn in every darkness, bringing hope to you and me. From the past will come the future, what it holds a mystery. Unrevealed until its season something God alone can see. 
The final verse to In the Bulb There is a Flower is this. In our end is our beginning. In our time, infinity. In our doubt, there is believing. In our life, eternity. In our death, a resurrection. At the last, a victory. Unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. We are here because Emmanuel, God with us, sacrificed himself on behalf of our sins and gave us the gift of eternity. That is the seed of the gospel. We are here because someone, guided by God, planted that seed in us. We are here because the Holy Spirit of God nurtured that seed and allowed it to flourish. We are here because God loves us enough to prepare a place for us. And in God's infinite grace, a place is set for everyone. I invite you now to come and eat. On the night when the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, blessed it, and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, blessed it, and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for the gift of this meal and all that it represents. Your love is overwhelming, even in the limited capacity that we can understand it. Thank you for offering up your body. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for creating a place for us in eternity with you. Thank you. Amen. Take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. In celebration of all that Christ has done, let us sing together Holy Ground.
Join me in the Litany of Remembrance, which you can find in the About This Episode section of the podcast. By partaking in this meal, we remember that Christ was born. Christ, Christ died. died. Christ was raised. Christ, Christ will, will come, come again. again. This is the mystery of our faith. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. As you leave this worship service, remember, you know the good news. You know what God has done in Christ Jesus. You know about the love that God showers on us every day. So go out into the world and shower that love on everyone else. Do your part to plant and nurture the seeds of the gospel. Amen. And now let us sing our final hymn, Sowing in the Morning, which is also known as Bringing in the Sheaves. Let us sing together. <laughs> 